your greatness, how big you are, how strong you are, how powerful you are, how wise you are. And yet, Lord, in all of your greatness, you found a place in your heart for us. You have a love for us as your creation and as your children. We just want to thank you on this Sunday night, this little place on planet Earth, just to thank you for your interest in us. We thank you for this last week and all of your faithfulness that we experienced, Lord. Some of it noticed, most of it not noticed. It's just the way you are. Thank you for your goodness to us, Lord. Thank you for not only saving us and forgiving us, but then finding a way to bring us into your family and into a relationship with you a relationship that we could not in a million words begin to express what it means to us. We're glad that you read our hearts, Lord, and you see the prayers that are in our hearts that can never be expressed. Thank you for being our God tonight. Thank you for the joy and the privilege of being able to turn to your word tonight to learn about you and to learn about your ways. And we just come to you humbly, submitted to you, eager to hear anything that you would say to us out of your Father's heart to us this evening from your word, and then quickly to obey it, Lord, and enter into the glory of the life that you have planned for us. And so, Lord, before we even read a single verse from your word this evening, we choose to submit to you, we choose to obey you and to bless you and to honor you with that obedience tonight. Just open up your word to us, we ask, by your Holy Spirit. Help us to understand it and help us to understand how it applies to our individual life tonight. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Good evening to you. The book of Proverbs tonight and our journey through the Scriptures, Genesis to Revelation If you're with us tonight and you don't have a Bible, there are men coming up the aisles right now with Bibles. And if you just wave and get their attention, they'll get a Bible into your hands this evening. So you can read the Word of God and uh, listen to it as well. Come in both the ear gate and into the eye gate. Have double the impact. Book of Proverbs, as we finish up the book of Psalms last time and now... Begin the book of Proverbs, and the theme of the book of Proverbs is the theme of wisdom. And so the theme of, we move from the devotional theme of the book of Psalms into the very, very practical wisdom of Proverbs. And what the Psalms mean to us in our devotional lives, the book of Proverbs is to our practical life. And it really just addresses all of the nitty-gritty of life. Sometimes people talk about Christianity and they'll talk about it being pie in the sky, you know, a person so earthly minded that they're no, or so heavenly minded that they're no earthly good. I'd like to meet that person, by the way. I've heard a lot about him through the years. I think his existence is greatly exaggerated. But this idea that it's just all otherworldly, and it has that element, the Christian life does, of course. But we live this life here, and we live this life in a fallen world, and this 
book of Proverbs tells us how to live it in the nitty-gritty of life and everything from how to raise children, what should come out of our mouth in terms of our speech, all the way to uh, how to rule a country or to be a king of a kingdom, if that was a person's portion here this evening or somewhere in the world. And so it is. it gives us this wisdom that we need. And wisdom is the who, what, where, when, why, and how of life. And we need that instruction. I think that in the years that I've been a pastor, um, I've been able to pray with a lot of people, have a lot of people come up and say, Pastor, would you pray for me for this or this situation or whatever it might be. There's a lot of things that all of us need intercession for and we want prayer for. But I would venture to guess certainly in the top two requests, maybe the single greatest request that um, God's people have in their lives in terms of uh, being interceded for is the desire for wisdom. Would you pray for me for wisdom? I need to know what to do in this situation. I need to know who to involve in this situation. Um, I, I need to know all all of what needs to happen here. And we have a desire to honor God with our life, and we know that we can't honor Him without that wisdom. So praying for His will. One of the great uh, things to create a hunger and a desire in our heart for God's wisdom is to live under our own wisdom for a period of time. I did that. I was so smart. (laughs) So I spent a little bit of my youth uh, being raised in the church, so... I know a little bit about the Bible and those kind of things. But then, you know, I got out of the house and moved on my way. I was cured of it fairly rapidly. But um, I thought I'll go out there and make my own way in it, try my own, you know, paths and these kind of things. And I didn't become notorious or anything. But uh, I soon realized that I didn't have the wisdom uh, to live life and I, in, in a way that was going to be productive. I was my own worst enemy, which is what... Uh, all of us are uh, to uh, ourselves, and so we need that wisdom. Now, if, by way of introduction, it's important for us to realize that wisdom is different than knowledge, and wisdom is essentially knowledge rightly applied. Think about the world that we live in all around us. It is growing exponentially in terms of knowledge. The Bible says in the last days, knowledge will increase. I mean, you think about what we know. You know, they talk about um, in terms of human history, it took this long, if you've ever seen the chart or you've ever heard it presented, it took this long for human knowledge to double, and then it took this long and this long. And now, in terms of pure human knowledge, what we know about anything and everything as human beings today, that's doubling in such a short period of time where before it took thousands of years for it to double. So knowledge is exploding. I mean, the insights that we have, uh, the knowledge that we have in the world today, I mean, the world is growing uh, exponentially around us in terms of knowledge. But the interesting thing is, for all of that knowledge, the condition of the world, and not just the world, but human lives, individual human lives in general, are not getting better. And what is the reason? It's because you can possess unbelievable knowledge. And if it isn't coupled with wisdom, how to rightly apply that knowledge, then that knowledge doesn't do us any good except that we can say, hey, we're doubling, wis- we're doubling our knowledge faster than any time in history. What good does that do anybody? And so 
the world around us is in the condition that it's in, despite all of our knowledge, because of a lack of how to properly use that knowledge, which is wisdom. You know, we know more in terms of just pure knowledge. We know more about husband and wife relationships. We know more about child rearing than ever before in human history. In fact, we know so much just about paralyzes every husband and wife and child and parent and what do we, we know so much now, we don't even know where to start. We don't even know how to go with our maternal instincts, your maternal instincts, my whatever uh, instincts as a father. But uh, we know so much. We know so much about what men are like, what women are like, what husbands are like, what wives are like, and what uh, children are like, and all of the studies and all of the testings. And yet, in the United States of America, the condition of the family unit has never been worse than it is today. We know more about the criminal mind than ever before. And yet our jails and our prisons have never been fuller than they are today. The argument goes on about environment and, and heredity, you know, what's heredity and all of these kind of things. And we know so much, and yet the prisons are just bulging at the seams, so much so that we're having to release them, even dangerous criminals, out back into the general population. We know more about the destructiveness of sins and of drugs and alcohol than ever before, and yet there aren't enough treatment centers to treat the number of people that are addicted by drug and alcohol. You would think that uh, with the destructive path that uh, addiction to drugs and alcohol have had throughout human history, that not a single young person in the whole wide world would ever be tempted to even take uh, half a step in that direction. I mean, the, the sheer amount of knowledge of what we have, of where it leads, what it does, what it does to the mind, what it does to the body. What, but we can know all of these things, but if it's not coupled with wisdom, we're going to end up with what we have even here today. And all of this is just examples that we could go on and on with, that the problem with our nation today and our world today and with maybe even your individual life tonight doesn't stem supremely from a lack of knowledge but from a lack of wisdom on how to rightly apply all of, these knowledge, all of this knowledge that we have. So many people live this very small uh, broken, uh, addicted kind of life related to sin, not because they lack knowledge. I mean, people have been telling them, they've been telling themselves the same thing for years and for decades, but it's an absence of wisdom. And we're going to see in a moment, thankfully, that the book of Proverbs supplies us with a wisdom that uh, in every area that we could possibly need uh, and uh, so that nobody needs to be navigating life in this world without God's wisdom. The introduction to the book is given in verses 1 through 7. The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, the king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction, here is the purpose of the book. To perceive the words of understanding, to receive the instruction of wisdom, justice, judgment, and equity. To give prudence to the simple 
To the young man, knowledge and discretion. A wise man will hear and increase knowledge, increase learning. No matter how wise a person is, they'll always become wiser by reading the book of Proverbs because it's wisdom that comes from God. A man of understanding will attain counsel to understand a proverb, an enigma, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. So it's written, the book is written by David's son, a man by the name of Solomon, a king of Israel, the third king of Israel. He spoke, we're told, in one of the historical books, he spoke over 3,000 Proverbs. And the ones that we have recorded here in this book are the several hundred that the Holy Spirit inspired. The only part of the book that he did not uh, write was chapters 30 and 31. They were written by Agur and King Lemuel. We'll talk about that when we get to that place. He gives us the purpose of the book of Proverbs in detail, kind of in verses 2 through 6, to provide us with wisdom. Again, what is the who, what, where, when, why, and how of life. And uh, when I was in the ninth grade, I took a journalism class. And I'm so glad I didn't go into journalism. It wasn't going to be for me unless it was the editorial page. But they... But we were told in terms of that who, what, where, when, why, and how that you always would include five of the six of those things in the first sentence or paragraph of an article because if a person was only going to read one paragraph, they would have the gist then of the article. You would, you, the who, what, where, when, why, and how are the things that are most important to people. And so if those things are the most important things to a person reading an article on, written on something that is maybe nonsense, how much more are those things the most important things to people in terms of our, our own lives, our daily lives, navigating life in this world? And, and so this supplies us with wisdom. Who do we... Who do I turn to in this situation? What am I to do in this situation? Where does this decision lead me? When should I make this decision? Or when should I talk with this person? And why should I do such a, such a thing in such and such a way? How does a person go about this? All of these things and the knowledge of what is right, the right thing to say, and to do and to think and all of the diversity of life situations. And so it supplies us with that wisdom, verse 2. Provides us with instruction. Again, practical instruction. Sometimes it's, it's very frustrating for a person to be in a difficult place in life. And uh, we've made a mess of our life. We don't know what to do in a situation. We come and we talk to a so-called expert and they just talk philosophically about the question. They talk around in circles. We don't understand anything about what it is that they're saying. We need some practical wisdom on what do I do here? And the Word of God supplies that to us, supplies us with instruction. It also teaches us what wisdom and justice, that is what's just, verse 3, judgment, in other words, how to judge and what equity look like in life. In verse 4, it gives prudence to the simple. The simple refers to the naive person, to the person that's inexperienced in life. 
And basically, it allows us to learn things while, re- while maintaining our innocence in life without having to learn everything the hard way or in the school of hard knocks is how we put it. So a person doesn't have to go and say, well, in order for me to become wise about what to do or not to do, I got to go out into the messiness of the world, the sinfulness of the world, and pick up my wisdom. Any person can come to the book of Proverbs, gain all the wisdom that we need in a safe source, uh, and, and it will be provided to us. And I like the fact that the simple can, uh, can do that because I consider myself to be a very, very simple person. So it, it gives me uh, hope. I don't need to be super smart in order to live a wise life. In verse 4, it supplies the young man with knowledge and discretion. That's how to plan uh, properly in life, to avoid mistakes and dangers, how to make good decisions. In verse 5, to become more learned in life, how to guide ourselves in life, how to assist other people in life. That's very valuable. It provides us, verse 5, with wise counsel to help us to understand a proverb, an enigma, the words of the wise, and their riddles. In other words, it refers to the hidden things or the things that are hard to understand in life. And so the book of Proverbs gives us the wisdom to see what isn't obvious, what looks unclear, what looks like it's just hopelessly complex. Nobody will ever be able to figure it out. Man doesn't know what to do there. And a proverb can come in and just in one sentence with God's wisdom, everything becomes crystal clear. And you say, uh, Eureka. I probably don't say that, but you could say that. Eureka, here it is. This is exactly what I needed to know and I needed to hear. Everything crystallizes and becomes clear. And so all of these things are needed in our lives. So when we have this Bible on our lap and we have the book of Proverbs, we're opened up to it. Here we have the single greatest source of pure wisdom in all of the world and in all of the universe. And it's as close as our Bible and uh, as easy to gain as as reading. I want you to notice in verse 7 that the whole key to the book of Proverbs um, is found there in that Verse 7, it is, the, it is the thing that opens up this whole treasure chest of wisdom uh, to us, and that is the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And so this book of Proverbs, it yields its treasure only to the person who fears the Lord. Everything begins with the fear of the Lord. Somebody say, might say, well, why in the world would the Holy Spirit begin a book on wisdom by talking about the fear of the Lord? Because without the fear of the Lord, this wisdom won't do me any good at all. Because without the fear of the Lord, I will never take this treasure chest of wisdom out of the book and apply it to my life. Again, you think about the zillions of people who, again, have mountains of information in their minds in terms of knowledge and even wisdom in terms of what to do in a given situation, but they do not obey the wisdom that they possess, and as a result, their life is in a shambles, and they live in a a comparative spiritual Poverty. Why does that happen? Because there's the absence of the fear of the Lord. 
And I think that the author of the book of Proverbs is the greatest example of that, Solomon. Solomon wrote these Proverbs early in his life and in his reign. He walked with the Lord. He walked closely with the Lord. And then he backslid away from the Lord for most of his adult life. And here was a man, and I would encapsulate Solomon's life, as a man who possessed mountains of wisdom but who applied none of it to himself. There's a lot of people like that in life. They know the Bible inside and out. They know all kinds of wisdom. They possess all kinds of wisdom, but they never apply it to their life. And why didn't Solomon apply it to his life? Why don't people apply it to their lives? In the absence of the fear of God. What is the fear of God? It is a deep, deep respect and awe and reverence for God. You say, what does that look like? It looks like, and the great characteristic, single great characteristic of the person who fears the Lord is that they obey His Word. The writer of, in, uh, the psalmist wrote concerning this, Psalm 128, Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in His ways. Jesus said, uh, If you love me, keep my commandments. And that's how I can know whether I reverence or I fear the Lord in a way that He is worthy of, is to obey the Word of God. So he begins the whole book in verse 7 with this key thing. You can read this. We can memorize the entire book. And yet, if we don't have the fear of the Lord, we'll never apply it to our lives. And if we never apply it to our lives, then it will never change our lives in the way that God wants it to. And so there's this great wisdom that's found in the book, but it won't do us any good unless it's coupled with that fear of the Lord and the accompanying obedience. Now let's head into the Proverbs themselves. Solomon begins writing here, My son, in this whole first section, of the first nine chapters of the book of, of Proverbs, is written, we see my son, my son, my son, uh, my children. These are the opening words of so many of the chapters. And it is basically a father a godly father sitting down with his children and tell, giving them godly wisdom for how to uh, live their life. And so this was probably wisdom that Solomon had imparted to his sons and to his daughters. And uh, here is a father speaking to his children. In the bigger picture, the book of Proverbs, we have our heavenly father speaking through Solomon by the Holy Spirit to speak to us as, uh, as his uh, children. And so, my, fa- my son, hear the instruction of your father and do not forsake the law of your mother. It assumes that both father and mother are godly for they will be a graceful ornament on your head and chains about your neck. And so the idea is that the wisdom of God, it beautifies our life. The wisdom of God, godly wisdom, it produces a beauty in our life that we wouldn't otherwise possess. And it's a beauty of character. We have a saying in, in, in our modern culture that communicates the same thing and comes from these couple of verses where somebody says, uh, beauty is only uh, skin deep. And the, I, 
the, what it's communicating is, is that there is a deeper beauty that people ought to attain to than just the physical beauty, and that is the beauty that's below the skin, that's inside. A person can be the most physically beautiful person in the world, and if they're ugly inside, then who cares about what the beauty is? I remember hearing a story about one young guy. He had married his wife, which is an absolute knockout. And uh, one of his friends came up to him and said, Wow, you know, what a beautiful wife you landed. He said, Yeah, you don't have to live with her. So, you know, the beauty that's just skin deep, I mean, that, that goes away pretty quickly if there isn't also beauty that's inside. So the inside beauty is what's most important, and that's what the book of Proverbs does. It gives us a character. Um, it gives us the, the, the kind of life inside, the way that we treat people, the way that we see things that makes our life beautiful in a way that it doesn't matter what we look like on the outside. And that's what the Word of God uh, does. It provides that uh, to us. And uh, you think about the beautiful lives that not, that not that many people are like the beautiful people. Of course, this, these two verses have collapsed the whole um, you know, beauty industry in the United States of America. You see about how much focus is placed within our culture upon being outwardly beautiful and how the inward uh, character of people, how neglected that's being, or even how... Uh, most younger generation and the younger the generation the more the indoctrination is going on the idea that the beautiful life is the sinful life or the dark life or the life of rebellion against God and this is what's put in front of everybody in terms of television and advertisements and all of these things and magazines and, and all of this kind of, of stuff is uh, put, put forward and that beauty is really found there but it isn't, it's found in Obeying God's Word, God's Word produces a beautiful kind of person. Um, what's the old kind of Dutch or Norwegian saying or something that talks about? Um, don't tell me. <laughs> no, don't even try to help me here. I got myself into this. I'll either get myself out of it or I won't. So, as I was saying, <laughs> on other things, sometimes you try and pull them up and they're, they're out there somewhere. Now, one of the beautiful things about this is you've got parents here who are instructing their children in the wisdom of the Lord. And if you have godly parents that are training you in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord, you need to realize that you've got uh, something as, get, as getting as rare as a dodo bird in the world today. And so you need to heed and treasure parents that will speak something into your life. I think about my own life. I, don't, I can't remember two times in my entire childhood where either of my parents took me aside and said, Son, think about this. Don't do this. Do this. And here's why. It just didn't happen in our household. We learned by discipline. We learned by punishment that you don't do certain things. It was kind of like we were rats 
that if you do this, you're going to get shocked with an electrical prod or something or whatever the corporal punishment would be for us. I didn't do that. I'm just talking about rats. But there was that kind of a thing where you kind of learned that way. But uh, so many people, and it's more and more today in the world today, where there are not parents that are raising children in this way. So if you have a parent like that, or parents that are interested in you in that way, you have something that's very, very valuable. You will be light years ahead of the rest of us as you head into adult life. I think about my two sisters and my brother, and especially my my oldest sister that I grew up with and my twin brother and myself. When we headed out of the house, we were just... We, are, we were set up to become casualties. Whoever was going to be the first person to give us any attention at all or uh, uh, allow us to be a part of their group, we, we could have been pulled into anything and everything, and some of us were. Just an absolute blank slate heading into adult life. And I'll tell you, in terms of wisdom, everything I've learned about wisdom, I've learned from God. I knew nothing of it going into adult life. But here's the beauty of it, and the point that I want to make here, is that maybe all of your life, your background is like mine, where no one has poured into your life. You don't have a father. You don't have parents. You don't have anyone that is not only not pouring God's wisdom into your life, but showing you any kind of attention at all. This is more and more characteristic of the younger generation. And you say, all right, do I have to then become a casualty? Do I have to grow up without wisdom? Do I have to grow up eight steps behind the eight ball and and everybody else is ahead of me? Nobody needs to be without wisdom in the world because the wisdom is found right here in the book of Proverbs. The highest wisdom is available to all of us. And I want to just encourage you, if that's your background, and you come into adult life or you're on your way to adult life or this is the childhood that you're having and you look and you say, man, I am being so terribly or uh, prepared for what I know is coming. I don't know anything about anything and I don't have anybody to teach me these things. Turn to the book of Proverbs and God will give you that wisdom and He will give you that instruction. So no one needs to lack wisdom in life. And so wisdom, this wisdom that comes from God, it brings a beauty to our lives that only comes from His wisdom. And then in verse 10, He talks about a warning against a life of crime. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie and wait to shed blood. Let us lurk secretly for the innocent without cause. And so here is a young man who's being drawn into a life of crime by a group of peers. And this is a seductive thing. You notice what's being described here is that here is uh, somebody who isn't involved in a life of crime, but they are being approached by people to draw them in, to invite them in. And it can sometimes be, especially, it's true of anybody, but especially if somebody's been raised in a godly environment. And then sometimes they get out of the house, they get on their own, now they're making decisions for themselves, and then here 
become these kind of criminal types that come along, uh, undesirables, and they come along and they begin to show you attention, want to pull you into sin, want to pull you into crime. And it can be flattering that, hey, these tough guys are interested in me or these people are showing an interest in me. And it's a powerful kind of drug to pull pull us into that. And so he warns them against this, uh, going into uh, a life of crime. Let They say, let us swallow up our victims alive like Sheol. Let's kill them and whole like those who go down to the pit, and we shall find all kinds of uh, precious position, possessions will rob them of their wealth. It's easy money. We'll fill our houses with spoil. Cast in your lot among us and let us have one purse. And so this is the temptation to join a life of crime. And then there's the warning against joining them. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Keep your foot from their path. For their feet run to evil and they make haste to shed blood. Isn't this interesting? So here we have a proverb that was written 3,000 years before the proverb that we use today. And what's the proverb that we use today that says the same thing? Crime doesn't pay. And it doesn't. It never has and it never will. And so here's the writer of the book of Proverbs saying, crime doesn't pay. So that's an ancient truth, and, you know, we ought to be reminded of it in every generation. We need to hear it now more than ever. Again, I bring up the case of the prisons in the United States, the prisons around the world, the prisons in California, absolutely jammed beyond capacity. Why? Because just one proverb of God, one piece of wisdom is being uh, rejected and isn't being taken seriously. If this, one, if this one section, verses 10 through 19, were obeyed, just this one, you wouldn't even need to build a jail. You wouldn't even need to build, build a, a prison. And the prisons being as full as they are testify to what? Crime doesn't pay. It doesn't pay. Because it's not the way to live. Somebody might say, well, it does pay because, you know, the leaders of the drug cartel. Isn't it a wonderful life that the leaders of the drug cartels live? They're running for their lives. Plastic surgery every few months so that they can have their face rearranged in a way so they can't be recognized. They become trapped in their own little world of of things. And even people... They become dictators, and it looks like they strip a whole nation of all of its wealth, and they live this life high on the hog, and it looks like crime really does pay. But then, you know, I went to Romania just months after Ceausescu and his wife fell, and we saw the images on television with their bodies that had been shot and they'd been hung and they'd been mutilated there is once they lost their power and the people were able to meet their revenge against them look at some of the most powerful people in history look at Mao look at uh, Hitler look at the end of these these people it really really doesn't pay it doesn't pay in this life it's no way to live And it's certainly, even if a person gets away with it in this life and they are able to steal and to have and justice doesn't get meted out against them, there's a justice that's 
even more awesome, and that is to stand before God one day and give an account for that that awaits them. And so this beautiful passage here. I I would would consider this time that we have spent in the Word of God tonight an absolute success if it meant that every single one of us in this room would never resort to a life of crime. And then all of the problems, all of the mess, all of the judgment and all of the everything that comes with it. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Keep your foot from their path. This is God speaking to us. For their feet run to evil and they make haste to shed blood. And then here's what happens to person that is in a life of crime. Surely in vain the net is spread in the sight of any bird. In other words, you, show, you put a, a, a trap out in front of a bird, even a bird, and you talk about, people talk about bird brains. Even a bird knows not to go into a trap that they've seen his, his thing. And yet the criminal, he, he, when he enters into a life of crime, he set a trap for his own life. They lay in wait for their own blood. They're not going to get away with it. They lurk secretly for their own lives. So are the, are the ways of everyone who is greedy for gain. It takes away the life of its owners. Crime does not pay. And then in verse 20, is a, one, just one of the most poetic, beautiful, it's so sad. It's so sad. You say, how could it be beautiful? I'm a very melancholy person. So, but uh, I'm just kidding on that. Uh, I don't know. So anyway, but I do like the passage. It's one of the saddest portraits to me in the whole Bible. And it has wisdom uh, walking throughout the public places of a nation or a city or a culture or the world and God's wisdom calling out to mankind to give heed to her. So wisdom is personified in a woman who is calling the whole world to come and listen to her, to listen to God's wisdom. But the world's indifferent to her, doesn't care about her wisdom or God's wisdom. They just go on about what it is that uh, that they want to go on in the rejection of God's wisdom. And you think about how the, the picture is so sad and it's so lonely. Here is God's wisdom calling out to the whole world. It remains largely ignored and rejected in our generation. And that's, that's just the way that it is. So here she is. She's calling out and crying out, and then she meets with this rejection. Nobody is is heeding her, and we see the same thing happening in the world today related to God's wisdom. I mean, God is His wisdom in His Word. This is all old-fashioned. This is a new morality. This is a new way of doing things, and it's rejected as much as ever it's rejected. God's wisdom is as lonely and is calling out for people to listen to Him as ever it has been in history. We can't make choices for the whole world. All we can make is a choice for ourselves. Wisdom calls aloud outside. She raises her voice in the open squares, Union Square in San Francisco, wherever. She cries out in the chief concourses, at the openings of the gates of the city. She speaks her words. She declares, 
How long, you simple ones, will you love simplicity for scorners? And the scorner is the person who rejects God's wisdom because of a love for their own sin. For scorners delight in their scorning, and fools hate knowledge. Fools here refers to the person who actually believes that they can devise and develop a wisdom that is equal to God's. Well... I had my little season in it, my early 20s, and uh, glad I got cured of it <laughs> pretty quickly. Wasn't as smart as I thought I was. He, she cries out, turn at my rebuke. Surely I will pour out my spirit on you. I'll give you wisdom. I will make my words known to you. And so she calls out in this beautiful way. And then she warns against rejecting her because I have called and you refused. I've stretched out my hand and no one regarded because you disdained all of my counsel and would have none of my rebuke. I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your terror comes, when your terror comes like a storm and your destruction comes like a whirlwind, then when distress and anguish comes upon you. Now, notice that it isn't God that will laugh, but God's Word will laugh. And it's poetic language to the person who rejects God's wisdom. And then when the consequences of rejecting God's wisdom comes upon their life, then wisdom will laugh is what is being said here. And the idea is we talk about so-and-so having the last laugh. God's Word will always have the last laugh. God's wisdom will always have the last laugh because it's the way to live. Is perfect wisdom. And so she warns here, the calamity will come, the self-will, the rejection of God's wisdom, it always results in a crash and burn. And then when that consequence comes, God's wisdom will have the last laugh, so to speak. And then they will call on me, but I will not answer. So here the tables turn, and here is a place where a person then gets into that difficult place. They're bearing the consequences of ignoring God's wisdom, and now they want God's wisdom. And so now they seek God's wisdom, but it's too late. God's wisdom turns, turns away from them. And so in terms of our life tonight, any of us that are sitting in this room, God's never going to turn his wisdom away from us. We turn to him. We turn to the book of Proverbs for wisdom. We ask him for wisdom. He's going to give that to us. But the point that's being made here is that there is a point where God's wisdom is rejected and ignored And then the consequences of having ignored that wisdom start to come upon a person, and now wisdom can't deliver that person of those consequences. We can always choose. We have the freedom to choose what we will do with God's wisdom, but we do not have the freedom to choose the consequences that will occur by rejecting God's wisdom. And that's the point that's being made here Then they will call on me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but they will not find me. Because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord, they would have none of my counsel and despised my every rebuke. And therefore they shall eat the fruit of their own way, be filled to the full with their fallacies. This is the world that's all around us, eating the fruit of 
their own wisdom and filled with their own fallacies, for the turning away of the simple will slay them and the complacency of fools will destroy them. But whoever listens to me will dwell in safety and will be secure without the fear of evil. Now, this whole uh, warning here that occurs in terms of rejecting God's wisdom and that there's a place where uh, the consequences, once a certain um, uh, a line is crossed, that the consequences are unavoidable. There's no turning back at that particular point in terms of the rejection of God's wisdom. Of course, the highest application to this is the rejection of God's wisdom as it relates to the salvation that is found in His Son. And when a person rejects the wisdom of that salvation for a lifetime and then dies in that uh, condition, a Christless heading into a Christless eternity, there is nothing that God's wisdom or anyone can do to protect that person now from the consequences of their decision-making because the, the God's plan of salvation is the greatest demonstration of wisdom in human history. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21, For since the, in the wisdom of God the world through wisdom did not know God, that pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. And to reject that is to go into everlasting destruction. As Paul wrote to the church at Thessalonica, these shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. And there is no redemption from that condition once a person dies. If you sit here tonight and you're not yet a Christian, You haven't yet trusted in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. You need to do that tonight. God's Holy Spirit speaks to you. He speaks to everyone all day, every day. And I realize we know it from our own experience how long it took sometimes or how long we made it for God to get through to us, to get us to listen to the gospel and to give our lives to the Lord. But it's comforting to realize that every single day in the world, in every single person, the Holy Spirit is endeavoring to draw every person to Christ. That's what He's doing. Every man, every woman, every child, whatever their background, whatever bondages that they're in, whatever uh, things they believe, whatever traps that they find themselves in, God is, is endeavoring to do that. The Holy Spirit speaking God's wisdom concerning salvation. And if you've never done that, before. You've never trusted in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. After our service, there are going to be pastors and other men and women up in front, and they would love to pray with you and pray for you to ask Jesus into your life and begin a personal relationship with God and receive the forgiveness of sins. And it's all there for the asking, and it's all there for the receiving. Well, we will stop there tonight in the end of chapter 1. With the promise, the Bible says not to vow, so this is something less than a vow, that uh, we will pick our pace up significantly as we continue through here, and um, that will be our intent anyway. So, book of Proverbs, chapter 1. I'd like us tonight.